Hello, it's great to have you with us today. This message is part two of a series looking at the life of Abraham and his faith. If you missed the first one, Faith for the Gap, it would be great if you could go and listen to that first and then come and listen to this one. This is also part of a larger series that we've been exploring about how God's grace is sufficient for all of life, how it sustains us and how it carries us through. It doesn't just save us, but God's grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in our weakness. You might want to go back and have a listen to some of those messages if you haven't listened to them. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Romans chapter 4, from verse 1 through to verse 25. It would be great if you can go and read that and then come back and carry on listening. So that's Romans chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 25. We'll see you back here in just a moment. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These words from Psalm 42 and Psalm 73 were written many years after the life of Abraham, and yet they reflect so much of its reality. They also reflect so much of our own reality. For who amongst us hasn't cried out and thought, my soul is downcast, despondent, even depressed. It is disturbed within me that there is this restlessness taking place. Who amongst us hasn't felt the reality that my flesh and my heart are always on the verge of failing. They are always on the verge of giving up. And yet for Abraham and the psalmist, uh, the answer to this was God. God is my strength, the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Or put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As we've considered the life of Abraham, uh, we have come to understand uh, that the central theme of all of it, of what God did for him, was Abraham's response of faith. For Abraham believed God, he had faith in God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. Perhaps your circumstances are causing you to uh, question your own faith. Uh, perhaps there are thoughts of the feebleness and the fragility of your faith. Circumstances have a way of weighing us down so that we're very much aware that our trust in God is under strain. And you have a sense of just how close you are to the breaking point. How is it that you can arrive at the point that the psalmist arrives at where you can cry out and trust that God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever? How can you move from this place of despondency to a place where you can and continue to put your hope in God? The story of the life of Abraham is the example of faith for all who follow in his footsteps. Now we can talk a lot about faith and having faith and being faithful and demonstrating faithfulness. Uh, we can describe faith as relying on God and depending on God and trusting in God. And that's a great definition to rely and depend and to trust because those three words are based on the reality of who God is, that he is reliable and dependable and trustworthy. 
who he is and what he is able to do draws out our response of faith in him. For after all, faith is only ever as good as its object. The life and strength and power of faith comes from the one in whom we trust. But I'm also uh, keenly aware that we do not always go deeper and answer the question, what about God are we trusting in, relying in, and depending on? And so in this message, we're going to examine uh, Abraham's life and his story from Romans chapter 4, looking back, because Paul does that. Paul answers the question, what exactly did Abraham put his faith in about God? What we are considering is the role of faith that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. How is that possible? There was so much more in Abraham's life that stands out. This is the man who left his home and traveled to a distant land just because God told him to do so. Why not appeal to that? Uh, this is the man who circumcised himself and his son. Surely that is no trifling thing. He was 99 years old when he did it. Uh, the shaking hand worries me just a little bit. Uh, this is the man who in obedience walked to Mount Moriah with his son to sacrifice him. But at the end, God rescued him just that he was at the brink of about to do it. And he did that in obedience to God. If you want to appeal to Abraham as the exemplar of a life lived before God in faith, why not go there? Why go back to Genesis 15 and an impossible promise in impossible circumstances to talk about Abraham's faith? Well, the answer is given in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. There is something about faith that secures salvation by grace. That something is seen most wonderfully in the example of Abraham. Abraham's impossible circumstances, a man nearly 100 years old, still waiting for the promise that had been given him all those years before and yet had not been realized. God had promised him a son and there had been no son. God had promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and he still had no son. And time marched on, but Abraham believed God. And that is the critical issue. He believed God. Abraham didn't just believe, he believed God. And that is a key thing to understanding what it is that we're talking about when we talk about faith, when we talk about saving faith. It's not just about the faith. It's not just about believing. It's about who you are believing in. So Abraham's example is that he believed God. He believed the promise of God. Uh, twice in these verses, we're given a clue about Abraham's example. In the presence of God, in whom he believed. And again, in the promise of God. So sure, there were questions that could have been asked about Abraham and his faith. You were told to go to a land uh, that you were promised 20 years ago. How much of that land do you own? You were promised that you would have a son. Uh, where is he? When is that going to happen? But regardless of what kept on happening in the cycle of Abraham's life, Abraham didn't waver in unbelief. 
he believed God. And threaded through this chapter, there are three descriptions of God which make sense of Abraham's faith for us. Understand who it is that Abraham believed, and his faith is not some irrational leap in the dark. It's not some childish fantasy. It's not some kind of crutch to lean on. Understand who it is that Abraham believed, and it's not an absurd alternative to real knowledge. So in the time that we have left, let's look at these three descriptions of God and see if we can get a better understanding, a deeper understanding of why faith, though weak and fragile in this world, is incredibly powerful. The three descriptions that were given about God are in chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 4, verse 17, and chapter 4, verse 24. Let's begin at the one in chapter 4, verse 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So the first description in verse 5 is that God is the one who justifies the ungodly. God is the one who justifies the ungodly. It is a scandalous thing to say about God, the God who declared repeatedly in the Old Testament that he hates dishonesty, that judgments are to be beyond reproach, that justice must be impeccable, that he will by no means clear the guilty. The answer to this scandal has already been anticipated back in Romans chapter 3. For between the God who justifies the ungodly and the charge of injustice stands the cross of Jesus Christ. It is in the cross that God is seen to be both just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul's point then in verse 5 is that trusting this God, the God who justifies the ungodly, is the very opposite of work or achievement or boasting before God. To trust the one who justifies the ungodly requires you to recognize that you are one of the ungodly. Abraham, the exemplar of faith, appealed to throughout the Bible and in the tradition of the Jews, knew himself to be ungodly. He knew that he had nothing to plead before God, but he trusted the one who justifies the ungodly. He relied, depended, and trusted on this God. This God who could set an ungodly wretch like him in the right with himself. Uh, he trusted the God who would not wash his hands of a man like Abraham, who last week, we learned, failed on multiple occasions. He trusted in a God who always completes what he has begun. In New Testament language, Abraham was confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is the one in whom Abraham was trusting, the God who always completes what he begins, who having called Abraham in Genesis 12, 
would set him right in Genesis 15, before that painful day of circumcision, and before the test on Mount Moriah. We need to be clear on this. It was not that Abraham believed that mattered. It was that he believed God, and the God that he believed in could do that. He could take an ungodly wretch with a broken life and set him in the right with himself. And he could do it in a way that demonstrated his justice as well as his mercy. The awful reality of the cross, when the long-promised Christ, the eternal Son incarnate, as one of us, himself made the only effective propitiation. Because of that, the pure and just and holy God can be the one who justifies the ungodly. Throughout the centuries, this description of God has not been seen as a scandal, but as the very heart of the Christian doctrine of God. He is the one who rescues sinners. He is the one who gives grace, real grace, unconditional, unmerited, and unsought after grace. Know this truth about God, and you know why he is worth trusting. You know why the psalmist can cry out that he puts his hope in him, even though his soul is downcast and tormented. Why he is his strength and his portion forever. No matter how unworthy you might feel, when your own sense of being a flawed human being threatens to crush you, this is something you can hold on to. Or better still, this is the one who holds on to you. The God who justifies the ungodly gives grace, sufficient grace, to keep going and to keep trusting him. The second characteristic of God that we're given is in chapter 4 and verse 17, but I'll begin reading from verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So there's the second thing about Abraham's faith. He believed in the God who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The one Abraham trusted had no difficulty in taking a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and making him a father of a massive throng of people. This God is able to bring life to the dead, just as he is able to call into existence the things that do not exist. And Abraham knew that, and that's what he believed. He knew that the God that he trusted was like that. He knew that the God that he trusted did that. The promise that might have seemed impossible to some and laughable to others, it was a promise that Abraham could trust because it was made by him, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. After all, it had already happened in Abraham's life. He had been brought from death to life. What had not existed now existed in Abraham's life. He had been given the gift of faith. Here now he had life with the living God, given, not earned. 
and righteousness, once non-existent as far as he was concerned, he was after all one of the ungodly, now called into existence by this God. You see, a shriveled up body was no challenge to a God like this. A messed up life is no challenge to a God like this. The writer of Hebrews actually talks a little bit about it when he records the story of the life of Abraham. By faith, when Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in fact offering up his only son, of whom he had said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But listen to this. Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He believed that God was able to raise the dead. Know this truth about God and know that he is worth trusting. Far from being irrational, faith in this God is supremely rational. It makes sense to trust a God like this. And you see that worked out in Abraham's experience, just as it has been in believers over the centuries and millennia since. He did not waver through unbelief, not because he was someone special or because he had a special aptitude for trust or anything like that, but because he was fully assured that the one who made this promise was certainly able to do it. He is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so Abraham was strengthened in faith. And he gave glory to God despite the dire circumstances in which he found himself. And despite the disappointments and the long, long wait, because he knew that the God who made the promise was able to keep it. And so here is the second reason that Abraham believed God. It might have been beyond Abraham, but it was not beyond God. After all, look at what Paul says about this in verses 20 and 21. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead or Sarah's. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he actually grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. You too can be fully assured, just like Abraham was. You too can trust this God because he is worth trusting. Uh, you too don't have to waver through unbelief. And you don't have to be someone special. You don't have to have just a, a special little bit of genetic code or a predisposition or a personality that's more trusting uh, than others. Uh, because the trust doesn't come from you. It comes from God who is worth trusting. You can put your trust in the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And at this time, you can also be strengthened in faith and give glory to God. I wonder if you'll take this opportunity to do that, to be strengthened in your faith. You're strengthened in your faith because of where it's placed, in God who gives us his grace and who gives us his strength and whose strength is made perfect in our weakness and whose grace sustains us. And so I wonder if you will, in this time, wherever you find yourself, 
find ways to give glory to God and to practice giving glory to God, regardless of circumstances. So that's the second reason. What did he believe about God? He believed that God could raise the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. We see that supremely when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We also see that in our own story arc, where he brings us into a relationship with himself, when once those who were spiritually dead are now made spiritually alive. And with that, we come to our third and final description about God in chapter 4 and verse 24. The last of these three comes at a very critical point in the argument. Having demonstrated from the life of Abraham that being right with God has always been a matter of grace and always been received by faith, he now turns to us, the readers, and he says, and this was meant for you. Look at chapter 4 and verse 23 with me. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Here is this third description about God. He is the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see, the God who justifies the ungodly and who gives life to the dead raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The great demonstration of God's power for us is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as the cross demonstrates his just and merciful dealing with our sin, so the resurrection demonstrates his power dealing with our weakness, our powerlessness, and our condemnation. Jesus died because of our sins. He was raised for our justification because through him we have been set in the right with God. His resurrection now announces our justification. We have not just been brought back to the original innocence with our sins washed away. We have been set in the right with God himself. And the point for us to notice is not just that the one who we believe in is he who justifies the ungodly, precious though that is for each one of us. He's not only the one who gives life to the dead, though once again, that is an extraordinary comfort to those of us who recognize our powerlessness and our inability to do anything to change our situation. He is the one who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, he is the one who seals our justification in this most magnificent way. He is involved in the resurrection, which was because of our justification. It was to set us in the right. It was to give us the righteousness that we need in order to have a relationship with God. God, the God we trust, is the one who has gone that far to save us. And in light of that, our trust is simply a response, a response of gratitude to his mercy. Know this truth about God, that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead for us, and know that he is worth trusting. Faith in this God, the God who shattered death in the resurrection of Jesus, is not 
childish fantasy. It's not an irrational refusal to face the facts. It is the most sensible thing in the world because the God we trust can be trusted and he has demonstrated that for all to see. He has demonstrated that for you to see. Faith is only ever as good as its object. Its life and strength and power comes from the one who is trusted. Faith in our life, it's weak, at times it's feeble, and we find that it is fragile, often at breaking points. But the God in whom we trust is not weak, and he's not feeble, and he's not fragile. And our righteousness depends on faith in order that the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed just as it was for Abraham. It is an immense comfort in the midst of our own story arcs to know this to be the truth, that I do not have to rely on the strength of my faith or the power of my faith or the depth of my faith, but rather I can rely on the strength of the one in whom I have put my faith in. This God is the one who justifies the ungodly, and that's astonishing. He saves you. This God is the one who gives life to the dead, which is exactly what I need, because I'm powerless to save myself. This is the one who brings into existence the things that do not exist. He does for me what I cannot do for myself. And he is the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And I can trust him. In Psalm 143, uh, David writes, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Friends, hear this morning of God's steadfast love for you, the lengths that he has gone to, to rescue you, to set you right, to bring you into a relationship with himself. And know that this God is worth trusting. Understand that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that when you talk about faith, that this is what you're talking about. You are talking about trusting the God who justifies the ungodly. That's what you're believing in. You're believing in that God. You're believing in the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And you are believing in the God who gives life to the dead and brings into existence the things that do not exist. And so I hope and pray that your faith in God will grow as you understand better exactly what it is that you're trusting in. And that you won't just believe blindly, but that you too, like Abraham, will believe God. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, like the father with the sick son who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. 
Father, would you uh, kindle and grow within us a steadfast fire of belief that is unwavering like Abraham's was and that gives glory to you in all of life's circumstances while we wait in the reality gap between what you have promised us and the final consummation of your kingdom when Jesus comes again to take us home. Help us, Lord, we pray, 